I'm Don Mockholtz, and you are listening to Looking Up with Don. This is the Looking Up with Don podcast, episode number 107, for the week of January 19th, 2022. The related website for this podcast is donmacholtz.com. That is spelled D-O-N-M-A-C-H-H-O-L-Z.com. Two H's. What's up in the sky this week? As our week begins on Wednesday, January 19th, The moon will be up for most of the night, rising an hour or so after sunset. But with each passing night, the moon rises about an hour later and heads towards half full. By next Tuesday, January 25th, the moon will be at third quarter, three quarters around the sky from new moon 22 days earlier. By then, it will be rising shortly after midnight, leaving the evening sky moon-free. You will not be able to see Saturn in the evening sky this week as it's too close to the sun and it sets shortly after the sun. Jupiter is still visible low in the southwest after the sky gets dark. Comet Leonard is presently about 7th magnitude in the southern evening sky. The southern hemisphere has a good view of it, as it is too far south for the northern hemisphere to see it. Will you be able to see the International Space Station this week, which for our purposes begins Wednesday, January 19th through Tuesday, January 25th? It depends upon where you are located. The ISS is the brightest satellite in our sky, and it appears as a bright star-like object moving slowly across the sky. There are only two satellites up there with people in it, the other being the Chinese spacecraft called Tengong. This week we have five zones. All you need to know is your latitude. Three zones will not see the ISS at all. These locations are north of 62 degrees north and south of 45 degrees south. Sorry, no ISS. And between the equator and 30 degrees north, you will not see it neither. That leaves two zones, a north one and a south one. From 30 to 62 degrees north, it will be in your evening sky. The sweet spot is around 48 degrees north, where you can see it for the whole week in your evening sky. North of there, it will be visible in the second half of the week. South of there, it will be visible in the first half of the week. Between the equator and 45 degrees south, the International Space Station is in your morning sky for at least part of the week. To determine where it will be in your sky, 
go to the website heavens-above.com and enter your location, then click on ISS. With the moon out of the evening sky, now is a good time to see some of those evening comets. They are plotted on Podcast 107, Map 1. The Southern Hemisphere can see Comet Leonard. Three comets appear close to each other in the evening sky near the equator. Comet 6P DRST is dimming and is near magnitude 13. This is the last week most of us will be able to see it for perhaps 12 years. As when it returns in six and a half years, it will not be easily visible. Comet 19P Borley is magnitude 9. And Comet 108P Coel has brightened rapidly and is now about magnitude 10. So if you have a checklist of comets, those are three right there. Further north in Gemini is Comet C2019 L3 Atlas. It is magnitude 10 and will remain so for several months. It is far away, three times farther from us than is the sun, and it will be in our evening sky through May. Near Orion, we have the comet 4P Fay. That's at magnitude 12 and a half, a bit faint, but still visible. And a bit north of there, we have Comet 67P at about magnitude 10. It is rare to have this many comets visible in our sky, as bright as are these comets. Most will be fading, and then we'll be back to two or three. To get the most accurate and up-to-date positions for these comets, go to the website heavens-above.com and click on Comets. There you'll find the position and maps for each comet. Let's talk about a different topic, something I've never talked about before in these podcasts. There are some advantages to observing in the morning. You are rested and your eyes are rested and more dark adapted than they are in the evening. Light pollution is generally less in the morning as some businesses and residences turn off their lights after midnight. Sky glow is less. Generally, our atmosphere is calmer and the scene is steadier. And you can see things in the morning sky that are not visible in the evening sky and vice versa. So, why don't most amateur astronomers get out there to see the morning sky? Sure, sure, we do when there's a lunar eclipse or an occultation or a bright comet or a meteor shower. Are those the only reasons to get out under the morning sky? I suspect that one reason is that the human body wants to sleep at night. Blood pressure goes down, heart rate declines, and people expect to sleep. Even amateur astronomers prefer sleeping. So how does one get up at 2 a.m. to look at the sky? About 80% of my comet hunting is done in the morning sky. 
This is due in part to the fact that most comets first become visible in the morning sky. All 12 of my comets have been found in the morning, that is, after midnight and before dawn. I remember my first full morning comet hunting session in February 1975. I went to bed and slept for three hours. Comet hunted for a couple of hours and went back to bed for three hours. I figured that my three plus three hours of sleep would equal six hours and I would be fully rested for the day. But that day was rough. It seemed like I had had not three plus three hours of sleep, but three minus three hours of sleep. It was like having no sleep at all. I was discouraged by that, but decided to try it again, and the next few morning sessions were not so bad. In 47 years of comet hunting, I've done over 6,700 hours of morning sky watching. Some of those hours are left over from an evening session. I've I've done about two dozen all-night comet hunting sessions in 47 years. But the rest of the hours, more than 6,000, occurred after I went to bed, got up, and then went out to be under the night sky. I've learned a few things about getting up out of bed at those times, and I would like to share them with you. In the early days, 1976 through the 1980s, I could get by on three hours of sleep per night if the remainder of the night was spent looking at the stars. As the years went on, I found I could only do this for four nights in a row, (laughs) then three nights in a row, then two. Age does that. The fix for this was to go to bed earlier so I had more than three hours of sleep before getting up or going back to bed after a morning session, which was possible in the summer with the earlier twilight times. Now I'm semi-retired and I have a more flexible schedule. I can sleep at midday if necessary and sleep long before a morning session and and fear for a few hours after. But those days of having a fixed schedule, having to be at work at 7 or 8 o'clock in the morning, working all day along with family obligations, how is this done? First, have a reason for getting up early and prepare the night before. I almost always had a comet hunting schedule. I knew what part of the sky I was going to cover, when I was going to start, and how much of the sky would be swept that morning. I had to cover the sky that morning because the morning after that, I had another section to cover. For you, it might be you want to see a meteor shower beginning at 2 a.m., or an occultation or some event that will not be repeated the next morning. I was also prepared for the next morning. The telescope is packed in the car or set up in the observatory or shop ready for the session. I wanted as little as possible to do when the alarm went off to stand between me and the observing. This will help you when the alarm goes off. 
Make it a straight line from your bed to the telescope. Secondly, I discovered early on that I have a full sleep schedule lasting 90 minutes. That is, I went to bed and fell asleep very quickly within 5 to 10 minutes. I went into a deep sleep and dreamed sometimes, then came up to a lighter sleep before starting a second cycle of deep sleep and dreaming. That second cycle lasted another 90 minutes. So after three hours, two 90-minute cycles, I was back to the light sleep phase. That would be when my alarm would go off. It is easier to get up then than to wake up from a deep sleep. I don't know how your sleep cycles go, but I suggest 90 minutes is a good place to start. And multiples of 90 minutes is a basis for setting your alarm. By the way, after an observing session, when I got home and before going to work, I would sometimes lie down for a quick 20-minute nap. This was much different. I would go into a deep sleep with some memorable dream and wake up in 20 minutes refreshed. Okay, but getting back to waking up in the wee hours of the morning. The alarm goes off. No matter how you feel, realize that your day is beginning. I often had what is called a sense of urgency. Until I was in front of a telescope, I would be in constant motion. Even driving the car was in constant motion. From here, there is no time to just sit and think. I want you to think of it that way. From this point on, lying in bed no longer did me any good, as I would rather be out observing the sky than lying in bed. As I often said back then, I'd rather be sweeping than sleeping. The clock's alarm is not a suggestion. It is a command to get out of bed. This will not end well if you decide you can continue to lie in bed and think about getting up or not. We have all done this, the alarm sounds, and we lie in bed thinking until we stop thinking and fall back asleep again. Don't let that happen to you. Take the first step, literally. Sit up in your bed and put your feet on the floor. You are now nearly halfway there. I always had a faint nightlight on, so I did not need to turn on a light. Look out the window and check the weather. Now you are walking and beginning to wake up a bit more. The weather is not a final word on whether you go out or go back to bed. In 1976 and for the next 15 years, I commuted to my comet hunting site. From 400 to 3,300 feet elevation, Sometimes the sky would be foggy or cloudy with low clouds as seen from my 400 feet elevation. But what was above those clouds? The only way to find out was to dress and hop in the car and drive up the hill and get above that fog or low clouds. If I found thick, high, or middle clouds, I would then turn around, go home, and go back to sleep. 
You might see thin clouds through which you can still observe a meteor shower, a lunar eclipse, or an occultation. Or it might be cloudy now, but the clouds are moving out. Conversely, it might be not cloudy when you look out the window, but the clouds are moving in, and it is cloudy by the time you get out there. That has happened to me within the past year a couple times. So what you see out your window when you first wake up does not always decide your next step. Now that you are out of bed and walking around, I want to tell you something I learned while being a caregiver for my late wife and later for my dad. I would often get up to help them. My father averaged five times per night for 18 months. For my wife, Laura, I was usually awakened once or twice per night. I discovered that if I could help them and get back into bed within five or six minutes, I could rapidly go back to sleep with no big loss of rest. But if the wake time is more than 10 minutes, I would have trouble getting back to sleep, and it was a major interruption in my night. So, for you, the next few minutes were critical for waking up. Extend those first few minutes to 10 minutes. By then, you'll be much more awake. So, you have checked the weather. But to be out of the woods, you need to keep moving, planning out your next steps in advance. Most experts will tell you to turn on a bright light to readjust your sleep cycle. But we are astronomers, so that won't work. In the early years, my commute from Los Gatos or San Jose, California to Loma Prieta lasted 30 to 40 minutes with street lights and car lights for the first half. Then as I got up the mountain, those lights would not be around. The next step I take is to go to the bathroom, and sometimes, especially in the 1970s and 1980s, I would take a shower. This would further waken me up. Then I would brush my teeth and comb my hair. All of that took five or six minutes. Next, I would get dressed and hop in the car and leave for the observing site. Back in those days, I would bring along two 12-ounce cans of soft drink. One I opened almost as soon as I left the driveway for my 30- to 40-minute commute to the observing site. It did not need to be caffeinated. Just the carbonation bubbles and the sugar would keep me going and awake. And I would put on the radio and listen to the latest music. I was familiar with where I was going, so I did not get lost, and the driving was easy. As I drive, I am on high alert, looking out for other drivers and animals on the road. This high alert woke me up even more. I had time to think, and I would think about a lot of things. The second can of carbonated drink, this one more than likely had caffeine, would be for the drive home if I needed it. In later years, I would not have to commute to the observing site, but have the telescope set up 100 feet from my front door. Then it was a case of getting dressed, getting my eyepiece, eye patch, flashlight, and logbook, and head out to the door. Oh, 
by the way, I am on high alert while walking to the observatory. Once a skunk ran up and greeted me, and at any time a mountain lion or snake might be out there waiting for me. At any step along the way, you might say to yourself, this is a bad idea. I'll not be able to stay awake all day, so I should just go back to sleep right now. I understand. When I have a big day coming or a long day ahead, I might forego morning observation that night and reschedule my week's sessions accordingly. But don't let this be an excuse for quitting before you begin. You will not die from lack of sleep. And I found this too. As the moon gets out of the morning sky and I do my first morning session in a week or two, my first day is a bit difficult. But after the next morning of observing, it is easier. I have done strings of nights recently with morning sessions of 8 or 9 out of 10 nights and felt very good. So you get out to the telescope and you start observing. Or maybe you're watching a meteor shower. There is a difference. Comet hunting kept me very busy and seldom would I lull into sleep. Watching for meteors or for those astral imaging, waiting while the exposure is being recorded, can lull one back to sleep. These things will help you to stay awake. Talking to someone, loud music, listening to a thought-provoking podcast such as this one, standing or walking around, and cold air. Sometimes I'll work on a math problem. That can keep me awake. If you are commuting, the drive back home at the end of the session can be dangerous if you're sleepy. Cold air or loud music singing along can help you to keep awake. For me, now I just walk back to the house, remove the astronomy clothes, and go back to bed. But back in the 1970s and 1980s, it was often putting on my work clothes, eating breakfast, and then leaving for work. I hope that these tips will help you the next time you want to do some morning observing. One more subject for this week. When I first got interested in astronomy about 1960, there was a space race going on. We did not just see it as a race, but as an effort to learn more about the solar system, especially the moon and Mars. As a young amateur astronomer, I lived in an atmosphere of space exploration. I was doing my own thing from my backyard, learning about the sky and space. The professional astronomers and astronauts were doing their own thing too, and I was learning from them. Lots of kids became interested in astronomy back then. They were motivated by what NASA and others were doing and by their local environment. In school, on TV, and in their family unit, the talk at that time was about the latest space probe or space flight. 
When my friends, acquaintances, or family wanted to know more about space, they would ask me, the local astronomer. That too inspired me. I had to keep on top of things. But more important, I wanted to be up to speed on the latest going on in space. We knew that history was being made, and the only way I could be part of it in some small way was to be an amateur astronomer. To recap the podcast, what's up this coming week? The moon exits the evening sky. Last call for Jupiter. Lots of comets to see. And think about some morning observations. You have been listening to Looking Up With Don, podcast episode number 107, for January 19th, 2022. I'm Don Mockholtz. Once again, the related website for this podcast where you can get the downloads is donmockholtz.com. That is spelled D-O-N-M-A-C-H-H-O-L-Z.com. Two H's. You can contact me at donthestronomer at gmail.com. Once again, that is donthestronomer at gmail.com. God willing and pod willing, I'll be back next week for another episode of Looking Up with Don. We will discuss what's up in the sky, the morning sky comets, and some deep space objects to observe. All that and more. Thank you for listening. See the sky this week. I'll see you next week.